Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Auto theft, everybody agrees it's a problem. Hi, I'm Ian Hanneman singing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. We were there maybe five or ten minutes and I hear my diesel truck start. Three guys jump in my truck and took off with my truck. Our question, have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? I got my car stolen July 5th, and they they roughed it up pretty good, but it still drives. My girlfriend at the time, she was driving this really old 84 Honda Accord, and it got stolen. We're just driving around our neighborhood on the way home, and lo and behold, we see her car there. The next day, the car was gone. By the time we saw that Apple's AirTag was, it was already on its way to Montreal, Quebec area, and we couldn't retrieve the car. A vehicle is stolen in Canada about every five minutes. That's more than 20 during our two-hour show. I was thinking what it must be like to discover your car or truck is missing from the driveway. The disruption, the feeling of vulnerability, and there's the cost. To you, perhaps, and certainly through rising insurance rates for all of us. It has become a political issue, but we want to get beyond the partisanship. We have experts who will talk about the problem and potential solutions, including what came out of that vehicle theft summit a few days ago. And as always, we have your stories. Our question, have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? And in our AMA, the good and bad stories about dating from our callers and our guest, a columnist on dating and relationships. I'm Ian Hanna-Mansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Checkup, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from February the 11th, 2024. And our first voice is from someone who reached out to us via cbc.ca slash aircheck. Wesley Eisen is in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Hi, Wesley. How you doing? Good, good. So your truck was stolen and uh, then you started tracking it. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was stolen September 5th of 23 and uh, I didn't have an air tracker or nothing like that on the truck. So I just kind of wanted some closure, so I thought, you know, it's it's going to pop up. Everybody keeps telling me, oh, it's in Africa, it was, you know, it's gone, right? So I had spent the last probably five months online just looking for the truck itself for sale. And uh, three weeks ago, there was a story by CBC News with the guy that uh, tracked his using the Apple AirPod tracker, and they found it in Dubai. So the whole time I had been looking in Africa for this truck, and then I decided that, well, I'm going to look in Dubai. And within an hour, I was able to find the truck um, at a dealership for sale just outside of Dubai, a city called Sharjah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, you know, informed the police. <clears throat> it showed all the pictures and there was quite a few, like I was looking for some specific details with the truck that only I would know. And Yeah, so, so Wesley, let, let me just jump in and ask you about that. So I, I, I'm actually... Like very uh, like smart on your part, but what did you do? You 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 kind of Google searched Dubai yeah, and Google, then the model oh, truck yeah. you had. Yeah, so what I just wrote in Google Images was uh, 2021 Dodge Ram Sport for sale in Dubai, 
and the third Google image page, there it was. And and what is it about your truck that uh, allowed you to say, well, yeah, that that is definitely mine? Yeah. Well, the color, the mm-hmm. color for sure, and the body style. And there was some, they had 13 pictures on the website, and I was able to download them and kind of zoom in and look for, like, scratches and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and there was, like, tires, the scratch on the door, there was a scratch on the bonnet, um, just little minor things. And then once I zoomed into the windshield and saw the Nova Scotia MBI, I knew right away it was my wow. truck, right? That is amazing. And uh, can I ask you, how much were they asking for it? 43000 Canadian. Yeah, and did that strike you as a good deal or a bad deal? What do you think? Yeah, it's a good deal. It's a good yeah. deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. I would have bought it. <laughs> well, I guess I guess except for the shipping costs, they didn't really have yeah. to pay anything for the inventory, so they no, can sell it as right. a deal. So, so okay, so fascinating story, Wesley. You, you yeah, track right, down yeah. your car via the internet. It's in Dubai, sure. uh, and then well, the next step, you said you got in touch with the police. Yeah, so I reached out to the police. I also reached out to Thomas Daigle, the CBC News reporter, as yep. well, because that's where I read the story. Mm-hmm. Emailed him and then reached out to the police. They wanted to see the website, so I sent both parties the website. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had it all my bookmarked on my computer, so it stayed up. The ad stayed up for two days after I kind of had talked to Thomas Daigle and mm-hmm. the RCM, or the police force. Yep. And then, uh, and then now it's closed. It shows it's closed. Yeah. And half the pictures have been taken down. So it's kind of still on the mm-hmm. website. But yeah, so yeah, it was kind of, I was actually in awe that I was able to find out. There were thousands, thousands of images, like hours, like probably two, 300 hours I had spent. Wow. Th- th- this, yeah. this, this is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> so Thomas, the reporter yeah. you talk about, is a fantastic uh, journalist for us, done a lot of yeah. stories on this. David Common has as well. But then, of course, I mean, we were, we love getting tips, but there's so many tips, it's kind of hard to follow them all. Uh, now, you yeah. said you, your your vehicle was stolen back in September of September last year. 5th. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. have, has the, have the police gotten back to you to say either we're not going to pursue it or we are going to like what's the status of trying to retrieve this they didn't say anything they just Mm. said that they were going to pass the information off to cbsa and then that was the last i heard of it wow okay you know what i'm just i'm just making a note here that 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 we need to to track that down because i can under you know it'll be interesting to know like i could see on the one hand somebody saying uh in the world of international smuggling and theft uh, the amount of money resources uh isn't worth retrieving the car like i I don't know or the the truck you know maybe somebody will say that on the other hand you'd think that the authorities could go to this dealership my guess is it isn't the only stolen truck that they're trying to sell, and uh, yeah, I, I, this is this is fascinating. So, how, so first of all, kudos for you um, to 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 be so tenacious here. How do you feel about how do you feel about the fact that you haven't heard anything I, I, about this? Well, it's a little disappointing I haven't heard anything, but I know with all the summit that's going on, and it seems to be kind of ramping up mm-hmm. over the last you know few months. Obviously, it's becoming more of more of an issue. Yeah. I mean, I don't really expect anything to happen to my truck. I, I was, you know, I, I, for me, it was more foreclosure. Mm-hmm. I can just stop looking for it. Yep. You know what I mean, and just kind of move on in life. It was just a truck. But on the other hand, I I, I did want to know what happened, like yeah. what happened to my truck. So, but yeah. And what about the yeah. insurance part of it then? Like once you uh, yeah. once you had proof that it's not coming back, <laughs> um, were yeah, you? Th- I had a week. They gave yeah. me a week. Right. They gave me one week to to say. 
you want to leave it open to see if we can find the vehicle mm-hmm. or do you want to sign the vehicle over to us right away mm-hmm. if if we do find it i mean i, I needed a vehicle right away so yeah. I, you know of course you know i i signed the Signed the paperwork and they cut me a check and I went and financed another car. Now, unfortunately, it's more. I, I didn't go get another truck, so I went totally different route. So. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, as I understand it, not that I've been through this, but you would get compensated for the depreciated value of your truck, which yeah. means that you know it's not going to be what it costs necessarily to replace it. So, uh, yeah, so no, you, and with, yeah, yeah, and with the with the financing rate so high now, that all the dealers reduced a lot of their like cost or the price that should they show yeah. for sale. So that's what the insurance based on what the actual price is to replace yeah. that truck nowadays online. Yeah. So, but yeah, West, it was very disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Well, but what a great story. Thank you very much for calling. Um, I am yeah. making a note of this because either here on this program or uh, our colleagues in, in, in Halifax should, uh, should follow up. I'm, I'm very curious to know if like what happened to the police part of this and if they ever tried to track it down or to, not track it down, yeah. but, but get authorities in, in Dubai to contact the dealership. Uh, I'd be curious about yeah. that. I also contacted my insurance and told them to as well yeah. and sent them all the information. Yeah, so just more, we, I think more information, the more we speak about it, I think things will happen, right? Government will have to make change or somebody will make change, right? Yeah. Wesley, what a fantastic story. What a great way to kick off the program. And thank you very much connect, for connecting with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. We are live on CBC News Network and CBC Radio. Our question is, have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? And I think we're going to hear all kinds of variations on a theme like Wesley's. Uh, if, you, if you didn't hear from the beginning, uh, he just doggedly did a search online, spent, did he say, I think hundreds of hours doing image searches and finally was able to track down his pickup truck for sale in Dubai. He was able to identify that was indeed his truck, uh, but hasn't heard back from police on it. Uh, but what a great story. one 888 8333 is our number if you would like to call us. cbc.ca slash aircheck is uh, if you'd like to connect with us, either to make a comment or say, as uh, we just heard, give us a call and uh, we'll see what uh, what we can find out. Um, we're going to go now to to uh, a, somebody who's in Toronto. Now, that's a city where in 2022, more than 9,600 vehicles were stolen and that is a 300% increase since 2015. Steve Bronstein looked out his window and saw somebody trying to steal his car. He stopped that. Then he jumped in his vehicle and ended up interrupting a second theft. Steve joins us now from Toronto. Hi. Hi, Ian. How you doing? Good. So uh, let's start with the first part of the story. Uh, when you discovered that somebody was trying to steal your car, what happened? Right. So it was last January, uh, January 2023, and we live in the east end of Toronto. And we were watching TV probably around 8 o'clock at night. And our living room overlooks our front yard and our our sidewalk and our parking pad. And it's not unusual to see people walking by. Um, So as we were watching TV, I saw a head or a figure by the driver's side of our car. And I just got up quickly from the couch and looked and uh, sure enough, someone was standing there and they saw me and quickly left the vehicle and started walking away on the sidewalk. And I just impulsively got up to the front door and went outside and said, um, can I help you? And by that time, they were a couple of houses away and uh, they just kind of turned around. And they mumbled something and kept going. 
And I came inside the house and I turned to my wife and I said, you know, that that was really weird. And they were carrying some sort of either a backpack or a bag. And I thought to myself, it, they probably had some sort of electronic device and they were trying to hack our fob. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, I'm going to get in the car and follow this person and just, just see what happens. And so I got in the car, I drove the reverse way around the block. And within two minutes, by the time I got to the street that crosses our street, they were already in another car. And I drove past it and I realized that they were in this car and I reversed and then they saw me and then they got out and started leaving again. And uh, as they went by my window, I rolled my window down a little bit and I just said something like, we have you on video and we're going to you know, report you to the police. And they said something to me and just kept going. And then I said, what the hell am I doing? So I called the police <laughs> right away. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Like I, I, I think... I would probably have the same instinct to do what you did. You sort of feel like, you know, superhero, right? Like I have to deal with this. I have to thwart crime in my neighborhood. But probably not the most uh, pragmatic thing to do. I assume when you eventually did get in touch with the police, they said, really, you shouldn't be pursuing this this thief. Yeah, I gave them the information and uh, I was actually 911. And I actually told them where the suspect was and which way they were heading. And they took my information and they said, just go home and don't pursue it any further. And really, the only reason I actually did it was because it was one person. It looked like they were kind of walking away and didn't want confrontation anyway. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of pushing them away anyway. If it had been three or four people masked up, I probably wouldn't have done it. But yeah. I did that. So there are a few interesting things. Well, everything is interesting about this, but a few things that we haven't talked about yet. First of all, seems like an unusual time to be trying to steal a vehicle when people are going to be awake yeah. and, and you know, able to, to see what's going on. Yeah, it, that was weird. It was eight o'clock at night. It was, we were probably watching Jeopardy or something. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the funny part is we went to our neighbor who whose car he did get into and I knocked on their door and I think they're they were in the back of the house, so they didn't know what was going on out front, but I let them know that someone had actually got into his car. Yeah. How did they react when you told them what happened? They were a little surprised, and, and they kind of knew us because we both had dogs, so we've seen each other in the neighborhood, and they they checked, and sure enough, their door was open, and by the next day, they had a club on their car, and so did we. So you have the police, uh, they get this call, you have somebody who is clearly bold and yeah. and out to steal cars. So you yeah. scared him away from your place. He went to a neighbor's place. Uh, yeah. You scared him away there. It's not hard to imagine that this guy is going to look for another target. But you were saying the police were unwilling or unable to respond quickly enough to, to get him. I got the feeling that it wasn't a priority for the police. I got the feeling that probably by the time I got off the phone with the police, this guy had got a car already. And I also felt that probably if you had gone to one of the major streets, which we were only one street away, I'm sure there was a, a, a police vehicle somewhere close by that could have responded, but they didn't. And they came to our house about three and a half hours later and took a statement. By then it's, what good is it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm sure that people from police agencies will tell us how busy they are because they are yeah. busy and that they have to prioritize what calls they go to. Um, but I certainly would welcome uh, any of those agencies, if they have people who are listening, to give us a call at one 416 8333 and explain, obviously not your situation, not Steve's situation in Toronto, but just generally how they respond to calls like this because... Uh, 
you know, I think uh, enforcement or at least the feeling that uh, that the, the law will be enforced uh, can have a big impact on people who are potential criminals. I guess, Steve, uh, just, you know, last word for you. You know that uh, that there's a growing emphasis in Canada on dealing with the car theft problem. There's lots of agreement and disagreement over how to deal with it. But as somebody who almost had their car stolen and who slapped a club on the steering wheel, um, mm-hmm. what, what's your kind of last uh, last word on this? Well, I, I also got a Faraday box I slapped a club on and I hid my VIN number so they can't see the VIN number to make a copy of the key. I can tell you that in my neighborhood, just last week, a truck was stolen and they called the police and the police, he had a tracker on it and he followed it to a body shop nearby and the police didn't go inside. So they looked outside and didn't see it and they didn't go in. But I think ultimately, where is the automotive makers in this? Where, why are they not making their cars more secure? Mm-hmm. Every month I get a report of my car. They know what the air, the, uh, air pressure in my tires are. They know what my oil level is. They can do updates to my infotainment system, but they can't do an update to make my car more secure. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, that is, that's really an interesting point. I too get those emails from my car and, you know, and, yeah. and I think like yours, my car's not like super fancy or anything, but I do get, uh, you know, my car talks to me once a month. And as you say, yeah. even tells me uh, if there's enough pressure in the tires. So, yeah. yeah. So listen, one of the, one of the questions uh, that you've raised so many interesting issues and we're going to pursue them through the show, but I also find it really intriguing that the person who tracked their vehicle to the auto body shop, like it's yeah. one thing to track it to a, a container at the Port of Montreal and it's on a ship and maybe that's difficult uh, or maybe it's not. But the body shop, you think that would yeah. be a, an easy target. So Steve, thank you very much for uh, for talking to us about this. And uh, yeah, super interesting. Steve Bronstein, uh, almost a victim of, of a car theft. We reached him in Toronto. Now, speaking of the manufacturer's perspective, a little later in the show, we're going to be speaking to somebody who can describe that to us. The Global Automakers of Canada is the organization that represents many many international auto manufacturers in this country. And so the president and CEO will uh, tell us how industry feels about this. And I'll put Steve's question to him. Why is it that some of us can have cars that have sophisticated ability to monitor what's going on in the car, to communicate with the owner? Um, And so why can't that level of technology make it more difficult than it currently is to steal the car? In the meantime, if you've had a vehicle stolen, we'd like to hear from you. And we'd also like to know how the experience affected you. You can call us at 1-888-416-8333 or send us your AMA questions to cbc.ca slash aircheck. I want to introduce a guest who will be with us for the remainder of the car theft uh, portion of the program. He'll be responding to your calls, but he can also take any questions you might have about how to keep your vehicle safe. Though I have to say, Steve, just a moment ago, mentioned three things that he did that I I bet are right at the top of the list of our next guest. Brian Gast is the uh, vice president of the investigative services division at Equite Association. It's an organization that investigates crimes on behalf of uh, insurance companies, and that includes things like fraud, but also vehicle theft. He's also a former officer with the Ontario Provincial Police. And uh, Brian took part in the Auto Theft Summit in Ottawa. Hi, how are you? 
Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, nice to talk to you again. I, I interviewed you for The National uh, a while ago, and that, that was a really fascinating uh, uh, segment for me. People can still find it on, on YouTube. Um, we're going to talk about car theft uh, now and throughout the, the next hour of the show. But, but first of all, I want to ask you about that auto theft summit. From your perspective, how did it go? Very encouraged. I went into it uh, very encouraged that uh, all levels of government, law enforcement, uh, very thoughtful selection of stakeholders were present. Uh, it was more than just a conversation. It was actually uh, identifying the problems, looking for solutions, everybody bringing their ideas to the table, and then concrete uh, solutions and a pathway moving forward. So I was very encouraged going in, and I came out uh, very satisfied that we're on the right track. Oh, that's, that, that's interesting. Uh, CBC, as you know, has done some reporting about how a lot of these uh, stolen vehicles end up being sold in other parts of the world. And one of your colleagues was in Dubai as part of uh, an investigation. You weren't there, but I'm curious, how obvious is it that some of these vehicles uh, that are being resold are stolen property? Yeah, some of them, they're showing the vehicle identification number uh, right on their websites. Uh, so it was Sid Kigma. He's our director out of the, uh, he does Western Canada uh, for uh, Frequité. He's a retired uh, Edmonton police officer, now leads our teams in the West. He made the trip to Dubai, uh, met with uh, local officials, their auto theft unit, uh, went to the dealerships. And uh, it definitely, I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of vehicles in the area. And wow. one of the not so talked about uh, things that came out of the summit was some great work that was done by the RCMP and Interpol. I was fortunate to have been in Interpol at the conference Auto Theft Summit uh, last, in, last year in the summer. And one of the recommendations was to have CPIC, so that's the police, uh, police um, information center, the Canadian Police Information Center, CPIC. Any vehicle that's stolen, reported stolen in Canada, is added to CPIC. What's not done or what hasn't been done is that list is being shared with Interpol onto their database. Uh, so that represents 196 countries. So as part of the summit, the commissioner of the RCMP had announced that next week uh, that feed, that live, will be made, and that will make a significant difference uh, in the fight. So now it won't be up to each individual owner to try and track down their vehicles uh, doing global uh, internet searches. Uh, it will be a, a feed that will assist government officials, government law enforcement internationally to identify Canadian vehicles that have made their way to the various countries throughout the world. So it's a significant uh, move forward and one that will help uh, combat international global trafficking of stolen vehicles from Canada. We're live here on Cross Country Checkup with Brian Gast, an investigator from Equite, our question today, how did your car get stolen and what questions do you have about car theft? And how did that theft affect you in terms of, you know, all of a sudden your car is missing? And as I said at the beginning of the show, that can make you feel kind of violated, vulnerable. Uh, and then there are the practical considerations of, of replacing that vehicle. Our number is one 416 8333 or you can go to cbc.ca slash 
air check. Uh, Brian, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but a gentleman uh, contacted us who had his pickup stolen from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and and he spent hours, many hours on the internet uh, looking through ads in Dubai because he saw the CBC story and he thought, well, maybe Dubai is where my truck ended up. He identified it. He had no question when he zoomed in on the pictures of the, of the vehicle for sale that that was his, contacted his local police detachment, hasn't heard anything back. Um, is there any recourse? I mean, he's been paid out by his insurance company, so he, he's fine. He's moved on. But in that situation, is there anything that, that an individual or an agency can do to notify a foreign country, in this case, Dubai, and say, hey, you got a stolen vehicle on this car lot? Yeah. And so our, our teams across the country work with law enforcement on a daily basis, trying to prevent the vehicles from being stolen in the first place and making those recoveries before they leave the country. We also do repatriations. And one of the main reasons why we do repatriations is that disruption factor. Criminals, the organized crime groups, the networks that think that they were successful in getting the vehicles out of the country, that is their commodity. That's how they're making money. They're profiting uh, we want to take that away from them. We want to cause that disruption. So we work uh, with Interpol, RCMP liaison officers uh, in international countries uh, around the world, trying to repatriate, bring those vehicles back to Canada, take them out of the hands of the criminals. And uh, that that's something that we're, is ongoing. There's thousands of vehicles that are currently overseas uh, from, from Canada. So it's an ongoing uh, um, process. Uh, again, we have vehicles in West Africa, throughout Africa, parts of the Middle East, parts of Europe, into the Caribbean. Uh, there's many, many countries that we're currently trying to repatriate vehicles from. I have so many more questions for you, Brian, but I just want to leave it there for now because you're going to be with us for another hour and I'll get to ask them that. <coughs> you talk about prevention of uh, of theft. That's a really important thing too. And I'll ask you some basic things that everybody listening should make sure they do. So uh, stand by. We'll come back to you uh, throughout the, the hour. Brian Gast is Vice President of the Investigative Services Division at Equite Association. Uh, we are looking forward to hearing your stories, those of you who are listening as the show goes on. And, uh, and it'll help illustrate, you know, the impact of this problem in Canada. Um, we're going to hear about potential solutions as well. Here's some of the ideas being put out by the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and the Conservative opposition leader, Pierre Polyev, this week. Today I'm announcing that a Pierre Polyev government will go after the real criminals by restoring jail, not bail, jail, not bail, for repeat violent offenders and career car thieves. We will bring in mandatory jail time and we will end house arrest for career car thieves. We announced new funding to make sure the Canada Border Service Agency, RCMP and the Public Safety Ministry are equipped with enhanced investigative tools and can better detect illegal shipments at ports and recover more stolen vehicles. The fact is, it's become too easy for criminals to get sophisticated electronic devices that make it simple, for example, to copy car key fobs. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and before him, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev talking about some of the solutions that they feel could be used to combat auto theft. If you have thoughts on why the theft rates are soaring and what the solutions are, you can give us a call. 1-888-416-8333. We also have a text option. Here's our text phone number, 226-758-8924. 
We also invite people to get in touch with us via cbc.ca slash aircheck. That's what Edward Waller did. He says, my RAV4 was stolen from my driveway at night. They broke the window to get in. The same day my car was found in Montreal by police. I was happy thinking I'd get my car back, but insurance wrote my car off anyway. After all of this, my insurance doubled. Sue Norman, also on air check. I had my car stolen in Toronto from a coffee shop. I'd left the keys on my dash and ran in to pick up my drink. Hmm. When I came out, my car was gone. The police said these gangs sit outside coffee shops and convenience stores or gas stations watching for people who are likely to leave keys in their car while they do a quick run in and out of the shop. Well, Sue... I mean, feel free to give us a call. I'm surprised that anywhere, much less a big city like Toronto, you'd leave your keys in your car. But maybe there's more to the story than occurs to me. Uh, Jerry Ledyard uh, via Aircheck says, My Plymouth Voyager was taken from my driveway. Thieves forced the door and broke the ignition lock. A family of four lived... Uh, in it in Toronto for a month before I got it back. The police arrested them. I got my van back. Insurance covered the cleanup and the new ignition lock. So now it is all back to normal. You can take part in the program by calling 1-888-416-8333. This is Cross Country Checkup live on CBC. Have you had your vehicle stolen? What is, uh, why is the number of car thefts soaring? Let's go to New Brunswick. John Bernard is in Edmonston. Hi, John. Hi. Your vehicle was stolen a couple of months ago. Tell us uh, where it happened and how you discovered it was gone. So I was in Mexico for a seven-day trip, came back, and I came back to the hotel, went down next morning, uh, vehicle's missing. So I go up to the hotel, um, the desk, and I, I tell them uh, someone stole my car. And I guess what I was surprised was it didn't seem like a real surprise to them. They were going, oh, okay, well, let me call the police for you. And so the Montreal police, this is Montreal, Mm -hmm. the airport, Montreal police come. Um, They asked me if I had the VIN number because I don't carry the VIN number, but I just happened to remember I had my Ford Pass, Mm -hmm. which is my app. So I look up, I have the Ford Pass. Oh, I can see the car was, uh, it was taken at 11 or 3 o'clock this morning. I said, in fact, I can tell you where the last address was. So the police said, oh, okay, well, jump in with us and we'll go. It was about 15 minutes from the hotel. So we drove over there. I, I just, and the whole experience was kind of weird in that they were so nonchalant, like as if this happens all the time, and telling me you're probably, your car's probably not going to be there. You know, I'm still hoping my car will be there. And mm-hmm. we get there. It's um, kind of an abandoned industrial park. Look around. There's no car. Hmm. Um, and, and so I said, well, maybe we could look at the cameras from the hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that probably won't work. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to argue with them. I said, okay. And that was it. They took my information and, and left. And when I went back to the hotel, I asked them, I said, well, do you have cameras? Oh, yeah, we have cameras, but they're out of Toronto. You know, and I said, well, can the police have them? He says, sure, if the police ask for them. Wow. Um, and, yeah, go ahead, John. No, I, I just, and, and then just further to the story, I, I figured, okay, well, that was it. I mean, I had a hard time getting home from Montreal to New Brunswick, mm-hmm. but about four or five days later, a very interesting thing happened. My Ford app, even though the GPS had been ripped out clearly and it gave me the last known address, mm-hmm. was still, my vehicle was still communicating with my Ford app. 
Wow. And it told me that I needed a vehicle, the vehicle was something wrong with the engine, needed to be serviced soon. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a time stamp on, which would have been taken from my vehicle, was five hours ahead of my time. Huh. Which would put it somewhere in Africa, I figure, or in Europe somewhere. Mm-hmm. This is also fascinating, John. I mean, the, you're the third person we've talked to who's had a vehicle stolen or in one case almost stolen. And in all cases, there's kind of uh, not a sense of urgency by police. And again, I, I won't be surprised and I encourage someone from a police agency to give us a call to explain uh, why it's you know down the list of priorities. In, in fact, you know, I was thinking back in 1991, a long, long time ago, uh, my house got broken into and and it was like shocking. It happened while my wife and I were at work. We came home, bunch of stuff missing. And we said to the, like, we're all concerned. Please finally, you know, they arrive. Not a priority call. I get it. Uh, and then we said to the police, we said to the police officer, what can we do? You know, and he said, build a moat. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so that's probably not what we're going to do. Um, and, but, you know, again, in the world of, of, of police responses, uh, it, it's not super high in the list. But John, at the end of all of this, well, you know what, let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, um, so you have to get back from Montreal to Edmonston, New Brunswick without a vehicle. So as you point out, that, that wouldn't be easy. Um, and then the second thing is in terms of insurance payout or how, how did that work? How long did it take? And, 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 you know, how much money did you lose in terms of trying to get a new vehicle? Well, the insurance process was amazingly easily, easy. Oh, good. They, they just, they didn't question. Yeah. It was like, it's like, okay, you know, this happens all the time. Uh, what I lost was I had ordered that vehicle, waited 18 months uh, as a, due to COVID took forever. I got a fantastic discount on it because I was locked into two years prior pricing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the insurance would only pay whatever I paid. Mm-hmm. So even though I had this huge discount, they only paid what I paid. Right. So I lost that discount. So now obviously I have to buy another vehicle and I'm going to have to pay full price. So that's gone. But, but I will tell you though, I couldn't believe how easily they said, yeah, okay, it's stolen. Here's, you know, what, do you have a police report? Yes. Do you have a picture of the car? Actually, I don't have a car, picture of the car. I only had it for probably a year, and I didn't have a picture. Yeah. I, and I explained to the um, adjuster or the insurance company that I said, look, I said, uh, I happen to know that the vehicle was stolen the very morning I got back. Mm-hmm. I, I know that it was it's somewhere five hours from now. Um, I know that it's still communicating with my Ford Pass, not sure why. I guess it's two different types of GPSs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I will tell you, though, is I bought another vehicle, and I put a tag system on with multiple wireless um, tags on it, So, mm-hmm. that, and they're not factory installed. Yep. So the trick, they told me, the problem is that these thieves go in there, they know exactly where to go. Yeah. And so the best thing is to put a third-party tag system on it where they put multiple wireless transmitters on it. Yeah. And it, even the thieves don't know where it is. Yep, that's great advice. And, and let's get the word out right now that if anybody knows John in Edmonston, don't steal his vehicle because uh, <laughs> he's going to be able to track it wherever he goes. <laughs> 
You bet. All right, John. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you very much for calling in. This is Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hannah Mansing. We're live from Vancouver across the country on CBC Radio and CBC News Network. You may remember at the beginning of the show, I was encouraging people who have had direct contact with car thieves to give us a call. And that's exactly what our next caller has done. We're calling him Martin because he can't use his real name because it could jeopardize him his employment as a police officer. Uh, hi, Martin. Good afternoon, Ian. Thank you very much for calling us. Uh, what, what have you seen as a police officer when it comes to car theft? Um, I've got almost a 30-year 30, 30 career, and I think, uh, and I work kind of greater, greater Toronto-Hamilton area, and I think over the years, um, it, it's changed. I think you had originally the, the, your traditional Hollywood chop shop where thieves would steal a car, because the sum of the parts value of the car was actually in some cases worth more than the car. Um, in the 80s and 90s, you had um, Chevy-style uh, column ignitions that were very easy to defeat with a screwdriver. Then we got into the Chrysler products that had the infamous glow rings with the Dodge Neons and the Chrysler and Dodge minivans um, could be defeated very easily and quickly with a screwdriver. And generally, you know, those were being stolen for kind of your, you know, your joy riding or to be used in other criminal enterprises um, quite you know, throughout the mid mid nineties into the early two thousands, you'd be you know stealing a minivan to use it to break into a house, and then you know dumping it a day or two later and continuing that process. Hmm. I know within the kind of kind of not right into Toronto, kind of but from Mississauga west, um, we'd have crime rings out of uh, Six Nations that would steal generally GM products um, because of the ease that they would be uh, stolen, kind of that pre-2008, 2009, easy to get into, easy to steal. The first thing they would do once they stole it was rip off the OnStar antenna so it couldn't be tracked, Hmm. um, you know, back to either be stripped or um, with some of the higher-end models, say an Escalade, they would know exactly what parts to take off Mm -hmm. so that the insurance company would write it off. uh, And then they would end up buying it back at auction, um, putting it back together with the stolen parts, and now they've got a legal car to sell. Right. Um, so we have that type of thing. I, and I can even recount about 30 years ago, I had a uh, non-law enforcement friend uh, actually uh, did a semester of school in China. Mm-hmm. And he actually saw, and we're talking late 90s here, we actually saw a car, or he actually saw a car in China. And <clears throat> if you can remember the days when if you bought a vehicle, the, uh, the dealership would put a sticker on the, on the bumper or the back of the car. Yep. Yep. But he could actually read um, the sticker had been removed, but he had actually, there used to be a dealership, I believe in Hamilton, I think it was called Carter Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and it was a, a late 80s Oldsmobile. But it, you could tell that it was from Carter Chevrolet, and this is thirty years ago. That's amazing. So, so uh, this this has always always gone on. I just think things have escalated uh, now with, um, uh, I guess, just supply and demand. You're mm-hmm. getting demand from from Eastern Europe and from Africa for these vehicles, and mm-hmm. criminals here are are happy are happy to uh, happy to do it. And yeah. ironically, from needing a uh, a screwdriver to, you know, 
break in the door and then either, you know, break part of the ignition or pull part of the ignition out, um, all you need now is a, you know, a, a mini computer with a new, uh, plug to get into the OBD port and uh, to reprogram. Yeah, it, it is absolutely amazing how the tech allows people to uh, to do what in the old days, as you say, you kind of blast through a lock or, or the ignition. And we're going to talk to Brian Gast uh, again in a few moments, a former OPP officer who's with the Equity Association about what he's seeing in terms of the way thefts happen and uh, what to do about it. We're speaking live with uh, a police officer in the Hamilton area. We're calling him Martin because uh, he can't use his real name. It could jeopardize his employment. Really appreciate the fact that you've called us. Uh, at one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the program to this point, but uh, we've heard from people who, uh, in two cases, had their vehicle stolen. In the third case, almost stolen. And when they called police. Um, they either didn't get a call back or or police said, yeah, we'll get there in a few hours. So give me the police perspective on, on why there doesn't seem, at, at least in those cases, to be kind of a quick, urgent response on the part of police officers. So you, 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 have, you have a crime in progress mm-hmm. and you ha- have a crime that has occurred and it's finished and a report needs to be taken. So if there was... You know, let's just say, you know, a robbery in progress because theft with violence equals robbery. You need mm-hmm. the two, the two individual um, offenses to, to make a robbery. So if someone's actively being carjacked, um, that's a robbery in progress. And police, police are going to treat that as the ultimate priority uh, of, of call and respond to it accordingly. But if you come home after working or shopping and your car is missing out of the driveway or out of the garage, uh, that's just a report that's going to be stacked up against other reports, uh, and and keeping in mind that um, while you know your car has been stolen, other stuff's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, grandpa's having a heart attack in the nine one one call. Um, you know, someone's uh, you know assaulting assaulting their their partner. Um, you know, some. Someone um, having a mental health distress with a knife or a dirty syringe and mm-hmm. all that other stuff is happening on top of that that's pushing you uh, down to the bottom. Yeah. I, I love hearing your perspective on this. As you talked about car theft, you're obviously somebody who knows a lot about it as a police officer, but also your answer about uh, responses and kind of the hierarchy of what's urgent and what isn't is also uh, really good to hear. Uh, we're calling you Martin because we don't want to identify you on the air, but Martin, I really uh, thank you for giving us a call. You're welcome, Ian. And just think of it, it's a, it's a chocolate bar on wheels, Ian. <laughs> A car, in property terms, it's a chocolate bar on wheels. It's just an expensive piece of property. In, in other words, so help me out on that. A chocolate bar on wheels, an expensive piece of property. In other words, what's the lesson there? Well, the the, the lesson learned on it is we've got uh, we've got two 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 theft offenses. You've got theft over five thousand mm-hmm. dollars and theft under five thousand dollars. So the average car, it's going to be if you get you know caught you know, stealing a car, you're going to be charged with theft and possession over Mm $5,000. And we all know that our our criminal justice system uh, works uh, on bargaining, uh, plea bargaining. So Mm -hmm. uh, you might get charged with theft and possession over uh, $5,000, breach of probation, and maybe, you know, breach of a recognizance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You plead guilty to the 
breach of recognizance and breach of probation. The Crown withdraws the substantive charge of theft over. And, uh, you know, there you go. You do your seven days in jail and you're out to do it again. Hmm. Hey, listen, before I, I let you go, and I've, we've got so many calls stacked up, but I, I'm curious about this. Given all you know about what happens out there, can I ask you, what do you do with your car to try to keep it as safe as possible from thieves? I'll tell you exactly what I did, because I, I was put in this process about a year and a half ago where I had a uh, older vehicle that needed to be replaced. And the vehicle that I had was a highly, highly sought after, you know, stolen car. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, talk to some friends. And so when you think about how these vehicles are being stolen, they're being stolen by accessing your vehicle's OBD port. And I don't know what it stands for, but that's the plug that mechanics plug into to uh, basically to, to diagnose your, your vehicle or anything. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the plug that Steve's connect to as well. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did when I got my new vehicle is I went on Amazon for about $15 and bought an OBD plug. And I removed my factory OBD plug and I kind of tucked it up amongst the wirings, uh, plugged the new one back in, got my mechanic to run power to the power wire so that if somebody does try and steal it, it, their computer will, uh, it'll connect, it'll get power, but they won't have a clue why their computer is not working. Hmm. Well, I, that's the first time I've ever heard that. That is fascinating. I'm so glad I asked you that question and that you have such a great answer. Uh, once again, thank you very much for calling us. Okay, take care, Ian. And if you'd like to call us, either because your car has been stolen or like Martin, uh, you work in law enforcement or perhaps you're a lawyer and have some incredible insights, as he does, about uh, about the whole process, you can give us a call, one 416 Have you had your vehicle stolen? Why do you think the number of car thefts is soaring? You can also go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. You've already heard on the program and you've probably heard elsewhere that uh, people wonder why car makers don't make it more difficult to steal vehicles. In the United States, some cities are wondering that as well. New York City, for example, suing Kia and the Hyundai Motor Company for manufacturing cars that New York claims are too easy to steal. So let's get the industry's perspective. We're joined by the president and CEO of Global Automakers of Canada, David Adams. His organization lobbies governments on behalf of international automakers who sell vehicles here in Canada. And that includes car makers like Audi, BMW, Honda, and Hyundai. Hi, David. How are you today? Good, good. So how concerned are those manufacturing companies about the number of vehicle thefts we're currently seeing in Canada? Well, I can tell you they're very concerned, and uh, we've been actually involved as an association in this issue for about two years now, when we saw the level of theft uh, rising dramatically. As a result of that, we put in force our own uh, team within the association that meets on a weekly basis. We dialogue with authorities, we dialogue with provincial federal governments, and we're actually pleased to finally see a summit come together that brings together all of the people that really have, uh, I guess, a touch point on the issue of, uh, of auto theft, because it's really... That, that's part of the problem is that it's not just uh, one group or one individual that's going to be able to solve this problem. It really takes a multifaceted approach to address it. But, um, you know, certainly as a manufacturer, nobody likes to see their vehicle on the top of uh, a top 10 stolen vehicle list. Mm-hmm. So insurance premiums are set to go up this year in Canada and car theft being cited as, as one of the reasons why. CBC spoke to a woman uh, who said that her 
insurance company asked her to purchase and install anti-theft devices or pay a $500 insurance surcharge. And so some might be wondering if if these anti-theft devices in the eyes of the insurance companies deter theft, why not install them at the manufacturing level? Why don't our cars come with these things? Well, your cars actually do come with uh, uh, an immobilizer on the vehicle. Uh, As of 2007, immobilizers have been required equipment on vehicles in Canada. Now, that's not the same as the United States, which you were talking about a moment ago. Uh, In the United States, they can, manufacturers can put in a mobilizer or they can do parts marking, which is marking the the VIN number, vehicle identification number of various parts of the vehicle. But in Canada, it has been lost since 2007. And uh, as a result of that, one would would think that um, given that comparison between the two countries, our, our cars are essentially the same on both sides of the border. But our rate of theft from 21 to 2022 was about twice as high as it was in the United States. And we sort of look at it, the cars are the same. Uh, we have an immobilizer standard. One would theoretically think that our rate of theft should be less, and that's not the case. So uh, you know, I think people are, are right to be concerned, and we empathize with people that have had their cars stolen. Consumers don't want that. They're traumatized by it, and especially by the uh, the more aggressive forms of stealing vehicles, the carjackings or the home invasions. And, uh, you know, we want to be part of the solution, which is why we're involved. Let me ask you about one thing that that has come up during the program, and that is, you know, the person who had their Ford stolen, the GPS mm-hmm. was was taken out of it, but somehow the Ford uh, vehicle was still able to to communicate uh, Ford Pass, I think is what he called it. So he saw the timestamp was five hours ahead. So so there was still the communication uh, device in in the vehicle that was working, even though the, it wasn't connected to the GPS. We heard somebody else say might have been the same person, actually, um, that he has put multiple trackers in his new car hidden in places so that someone who steals the car won't know, you know, how many trackers there are and where they are. Um, I mean, that feels to me, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm certainly, you know, an amateur when it comes to this, but it feels to me that those are some of the things that auto manufacturers could do that wouldn't be hugely expensive to have, you know, let's say a couple of trackers embedded in in the frame of the car makes it very difficult to take it out. And so we'd at least know where the car was after it was stolen. Are are there things that that automakers could do better than they're currently doing to make cars trackable? Well, there's always a way that that we can do things better for sure. But I think right now, um, a vast number of uh, new model vehicles already come with uh, tracking, for instance, on the vehicle, either... um, as part of the price of the vehicle or as an option on the vehicle. And again, associated apps with that vehicle that you were talking about, Ford Connect and whatnot. But I mean, the reality is whether it's an OEM system, a manufacturer system, or the tag system that you were referring to, Ian, and going back to your previous caller, the police officer, you know, we do need uh, the availability of uh, law enforcement officials to interdict these vehicles when they're tracked. Otherwise, you know, the tracking devices of no use. And mm-hmm. I've seen a few stories now where you've got consumers and they know exactly where their vehicle is. They see it go into a rail yard. They see it being railed down to the port of Montreal. They mm-hmm. see it on the ship. They see it in Belgium and then they see it go to Africa and, and nobody is doing anything to uh, to interdict this, uh, this vehicle or stop the process. Yeah, really good point. And thank you very much for speaking with us, David. No problem. Glad to be out here. 
David Thanks. Adams, the president and CEO of the Global Automakers of Canada, a group that uh, represents 15 manufacturers, including Audi, BMW, Honda, and Hyundai. We have three minutes left on CBC News Network before our show continues on CBC Radio and the CBC Listen app. And in those remaining three minutes, let's go to one more call. Elaine Gallagher is in Victoria, BC. Hi, Elaine. Hello. Uh, what, what is your story about uh, when you uh, describe for us when your vehicle was stolen? Well, I was newly widowed and sold my house and moved into a condo. And about two months later, um, I went down in the morning to get something out of my car and it was gone out of a secure, locked underground parking uh, garage. Uh, it was quite a shock and kind of, of course, had to report it to the um, local condo association and they had to immediately change all the locks on mm-hmm. the um out you know to get in and out of the garage because the garage door opener was actually in my car mm-hmm. uh so there was quite a cost and all the people in my building were quite traumatized along with me thinking that uh, you know what we thought was a safe place to park our cars suddenly had been uh violated yeah, Elaine, tell me, think back to that moment when you came downstairs into that parking lot and saw your your space was empty and uh, I don't know how many seconds it took you, but w- w- what was going through your mind as you, you started to process the fact that your car had been stolen? <laughs> well, the first thing that, that I thought about was, you know, did I... Did I go somewhere and get drunk yesterday and leave my car <laughs> and, and take a cab home? Mm-hmm. Or did I park it out on the street and yeah. you know, forget about it? Like I'm 78 years old and, you know, I do. My memory does slip from time to time about mm-hmm. things. And then I thought, oh, no, that I didn't do that. I knew that. And I thought, well, maybe my son had come over from uh, Vancouver and, um, you know, decided to borrow my car first thing in the morning or something. And uh, I called him and he said, no, no, mom, I wouldn't just take your car without telling you. (laughs) But it just seems so unreal, right? It just seems so like it's just, it's hard to, I remember when my in-laws, they they went to a supermarket here in Vancouver and uh, went inside, did some shopping, came out, car missing. So imagine that you weren't even sure, you know, even though you'd parked at your condo, imagine going into a place with a big parking lot and your first thought's got to be, Oh, I must have parked it somewhere else. My memory must exactly. be playing tricks on me. Uh, but <laughs> but their car was uh, was stolen. They eventually got it back, and that's kind of a mixed blessing. We only have about thirty yeah. seconds left, Elaine. But in the end, did you get your car back? Did you get insurance? Nope. How did it end? I got insurance. I got fully reimbursed for the car value plus, you know, extra value. I don't know how that happened, but. I was able to get a brand new car in the end uh, for just a very little bit of money more. Wow. Um, the, poli- the police in my case were absolutely wonderful. I yep. have to tell you, the Sydney RCMP yep. came uh, over. I, uh, I have to. I have to. I'm sorry, Elaine. This is so rude of me. I have to jump in. Yeah. So great. A nice ending to an unfortunate story. Thank you very much, Elaine. Righto. And we say goodbye right now to our CBC News Network audience. Uh, Rosemary Barton is next. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.
You're listening to Cross Country Checkup, Hour 2, live on CBC Radio. We have 30 minutes left on our main topic, and it's been a great conversation so far. I'm sure it'll continue that way. Um, and then at the bottom of the hour, it's our Ask Me Anything, uh, you know, Valentine's Day coming up on Wednesday. So ahead of that, we would like to hear dating stories, good, bad, Indifferent. So instead of ask me anything, I guess this week it's kind of tell us everything. Uh, but we do have an expert, though, who you can ask questions to and who can weigh in with a little bit of advice. Jen Kirsch is a, a dating and relationship columnist. And though she is going to be here with us for 30 minutes, in 30 minutes time, I just want to quickly connect with her right now. Hi, Jen. Hey, Ian. How's it going? It's going really well. And so for people who uh, are listening to our auto theft show and uh, I want to get their minds kind of uh, thinking about the Ask Me Anything uh, about dating ahead of Valentine's Day. And so let me put you on the spot and uh, and, okay. and and tell me, uh, you know, I don't know, a worst date story. Oh, it's so weird because, Ian, my worst date story is also my best date story. And huh. it was the same person, two different situations. Um, I want to say the best date. I'm going to start with the positive. The best date was, you know, going somewhere where the person chose a spot that was very on brand for what I liked. At the time, I was a huge sports fan. So they found a place I was living in New York at the time where they were playing a Leafs game. And I just like that they found it because there it's hard to find a hockey game on in New York, let alone the Leafs game. So right. I love the gesture. Mm-hmm. First date went well. Second date, he wanted to take me to Whole Foods. <laughs> and that's not, yeah. not the most romantic setting for you? Not the most romantic. And it felt like, are you taking me there shopping to get groceries for your house and you just want to get me home with you? <laughs> I just feel like a date is all about getting to know someone. And if you're going to develop some sort of relationship, you want to see how they interact with other people and how they treat you and where they choose to go and how creative they get. And mm-hmm. a Whole Foods date was, it was actually not even a Whole Foods date, Ian. It was the Whole Foods salad bar. <laughs> Okay, hold yeah. that thought. We're going to come back yeah. to you in 28 minutes' time and uh, hear more about your uh, dating stories, but <laughs> more to the point here from callers as well. That's our Ask Me Anything, and uh, Jen Kirsch is going to be our expert, but you as the callers will also uh, make that last half hour really interesting. Best and worst dates, you, st- you can start calling us now, actually, one 416 You can also text us with dating stories or questions, 22675. 88924. As you know, if you're a veteran listener to this show, you can continue to use those two numbers for our main question as well that continues for another half hour. Have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? We also have an expert with us who's going to be here to answer some questions uh, and we'll go to him in just a moment. But let's go first to Thunder Bay, Ontario. Ken Shields is, uh, is on the line. Hi, Ken. Hello, Ian. Uh, You have a question, I think, which works out perfectly because we have an expert standing by. What's your car theft question? Um, Actually, we've never had a car theft. We've had many Mm break-ins. But my question is about the current vehicle we have is a a Tesla. And I'm told that uh, they are never on on any list of the top stolen vehicles. Uh, They're very difficult to steal. Um, They have a lot of security, safety and security features um if your vehicle is if you're away from your vehicle say someone's driving it you can actually see where it is and how fast they're going um 
I actually enabled a pin-to-drive feature. So when I put my foot on the brake, um, you can't put it in drive until you know my secret pin, which I'm not going to tell the country right now. <laughs> so, um, so my question is, I mean, these, these features, they're, they're not free. They're not cheap. I didn't buy the vehicle because they had these features. I'm happy uh, they did, do have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so other, like I'm hearing on, these, on your program, I, I wasn't aware that Ford had similar uh, features where you could see where your vehicle is at all times. Mm-hmm. And uh, why can't we uh, make uh, vehicles as secure as, as our car? And yeah. what would it cost to do that for other vehicles? So yeah. I don't know if you uh, the person that was at the recent summit would have any insight to that. Yeah, those are fantastic questions. And I, I'm, I really regret that you're not going to share your pin with all of our listeners, but I'll just have to accept that. Thank you very much for calling in. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, let's go to Brian Gass now, who's the Vice President of the Investigative Services Division at Equite Association. And, uh, and Brian, what about that? I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of car manufacturers. We spoke to somebody who is a member of uh, a group that represents some of those. But, well, let me first ask you about Tesla. Do you find that the, uh, the tech and security in Teslas makes them impervious to theft? Yeah, anything can be stolen, but uh, they are very good. They have very, uh, very significant security package to prevent theft. And the other thing to consider as well is uh, a lot of the vehicles stolen in Ontario and Quebec and parts of the country is for export. So they're being stolen solely for export. And there's not a big uh, demand for electric vehicles because of the infrastructure to recharge. Mm -hmm. So that's also one of the issues. But they absolutely have some very good onboard protections against theft is uh, is a significant one that we're actually looking for for or suggesting should be in all vehicles to to protect them and make them harder to steal in the first place. Yeah, it, it's interesting to hear, for example, the, the gentleman who drove from Edmonston, New Brunswick to, to the Montreal airport and had his Ford stolen and he said that it looked like the GPS was either disabled or, or removed um, at a warehouse or, or a whatever, you know, pretty close to where it was stolen. Uh, but then the vehicle kept communicating via, uh, to the app, the Ford Pass app. So th- that communication was still in place. You know, I'm just surprised that there's not uh, tracking, like an AirTag kind of technology that's embedded in the vehicle that isn't easy to remove, but you're the expert, I'm not. Do, do you think simple modifications like that could be made to vehicles? I, 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 do, I do believe that. And uh, again, these are my beliefs, but mm-hmm. uh, I think they're jurisdiction by jurisdiction. We are very comparable to the United States. They had o- just over a million vehicles stolen in 2022. We had uh, just over 100,000. They have 10, th- 10 times the population. So our theft numbers are very comparable. Uh, our standard that we currently have is 2007. It was first drafted in 1998. It has not been updated since. So all the methods of theft, the reprogramming thefts, and uh, one of your callers talked about the onboard diagnostic port, so the OBD port. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they access for the reprogramming. Uh, relay attacks, capturing the radio frequency between the key fob and the vehicle. That's called a relay attack. So those both those two methods of theft aren't even uh, considered in the current standard. So modernizing that standard, bringing it up to uh, par as to what is... Uh, 
um, uh, helps to protect against the current methods of theft mm-hmm. is uh, one area. Because right now, uh, each jurisdiction, depending on the country that the vehicle is being manufactured or being sold in, uh, the security package that goes with it is dependent on the requirements of the of that country. So whatever the country, if you look at some jurisdictions that have significantly difficult and stringent um, um, demands on the security package, uh, those countries are seeing a significant drop in in theft. So again, I put a lot of weight in making the vehicle harder to steal in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that's the silver bullet. There's still lots of things that need to be done. Uh, But I do want to, Martin raised a good point, if I have two seconds, um, uh, about the the triaging of calls. And he's so absolutely right, uh, where there's so many things that are going on behind the scenes where calls could be stacked and uh, the officer's not able to get there as as quickly as the caller might seem. And and, and I appreciate it that when, when you call, you've been victimized uh, and everything else is so important at that point. But what they don't recognize is what else is going on in the jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But I do want to add some reassurance that uh, I've never seen the collaboration and cooperation and the police working so hard. Um, many police services are recreating auto theft units. So there are a lot of good efforts being made to uh, to target and combat vehicle crimes. Um, and one of the overwhelming uh, messages that came out of the summit was vehicle theft is not a, a victimless crime. It's not just a property crime. This is organized crime benefiting from it um it's uh they're funding their organized crime uh whether it be drugs or firearms or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. so this is far from victimless it's uh it's affecting our communities and that's the vision that public safety is seeing it uh some great announcements last summer with mm-hmm. from the solicitor general uh, in ontario creating the auto theft unit uh, led by the opp dedicated prosecutors mm-hmm. so i am encouraged that uh the enforcement are seeing this as a serious offense, right. a, a serious problem, and uh, there's many things that might not be seen to the to the regular person. Mm-hmm. But uh, targeting the organized crime groups that are behind this, there's a yep. lot of gr- really great work that's being done. All right, thank you very much. You're with us uh, for the next 20 minutes uh, as we continue to talk about auto theft, and just uh, to let people listening know, um, I'm going to set aside four or five minutes uh, towards the end of this half hour to go through with you, Brian, very specific advice for people on what they can do to make their vehicle less likely to be stolen. It's really important stuff and, and uh, you know, we'll have to go through it fairly quickly, but I want it to be clear to people. So those who are listening, please stand by for that. Brian Gast, Vice President of the Investigative Services Division at Equite Association, and he is a former police officer. You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamansing. We are live from CBC Vancouver. Have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? Our number is one 888 8333. Melanie Turini is in Barrie, Ontario. Hi, Melody. Hi, how are you? It's actually Melody Turini, but you're not the first to massacre it, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I got a lot of stuff in front of me here in the computer. No, but, it's okay. But, it's but, okay. Turi- <laughs> but, but I, you deserve to have your name pronounced correctly. So Melody, no, Melody Turini, um, thank you very much for calling. And, and tell us about discovering that your car was stolen not long ago. Uh, yeah, it was uh, January the 9th. Um, I woke up 
uh, after we just returned from a trip from England uh, where we'd taken my daughter over to go to school, um, wake up the next morning, you know, obviously some jet lag, go uh, like I do every morning, make my coffee, go to my front window, look out in the uh, the front yard and go, my car is missing. Hmm. And then my son's car was sitting adjacent to where mine used to be. And so I think that little bugger took my car. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> was the first thing I thought. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I saunter down to the, the front you know, door, yes, where we hang the keys. And both sets of my keys with fobs are sitting there. Hmm. Um, mine was a 2022 Highlander, which is, uh, I understand, is number four on the list for most popular vehicles to, uh, to steal. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this at the time anyway. So I call my, you know, call my son and he answers and I'm like, where are you? And he goes, I'm in the basement. I go, oh, okay, great. My car, you know, my car has been stolen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from there it goes to, you know, my neighbors have video cameras, which is obviously, you know, one of the things that I'm sure is recommended, get video cameras outside your house. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing. Yes, we watched the entire video footage of them stealing my car. Two people walk up the center of the road. Um, they go right into my driveway. So they'd already scouted. They already knew where they were going. Mm-hmm. They're on foot. Um, it took them exactly nine minutes on the video. T- they've got big coats on, big hoods. They can't be identified um, as to who they are. Mm-hmm. It took them nine minutes. You see the lights flash, my taillights flash. That means it's unlocked. You know, a few seconds later, one gets in, starts the car, drives away. The other one takes off running down the sidewalk, which tells me there's a getaway vehicle mm-hmm. down around. They've come the opposite way. So they were scouting, you know, they were yep. looking for. And uh, in my neighborhood, same night, five minutes away, another Highlander stolen in wow. the city of Barrie as well. Yeah. So, hey, hey, Melody, let me just jump in. Yeah. And, and so as you were looking at your neighbor's uh, security footage and you could see your car being stolen, how did they get in? They, they obviously must have had one of these relay mm-hmm. um, devices where they could, you know, activate the fob that's inside my home because mm-hmm. I have both sets of keys. You know, there's no evidence of damage to the vehicle. There's no sounds because you could hear the you could hear the audio with the mm-hmm. camera as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they didn't break in. So they stood between our two cars for nine minutes trying uh-huh. to pick up the signal. Obviously, then you see the light flash. One walks around the car, gets in the driver's seat, drives away. And the other one takes off running, like I said. Wow. So it didn't take them very long. But, so this uh, is one month ago. Um, what's happened since then? Um, well, initially, you know, you, you get the videotape, you call the police, you call the insurance company, and uh, then you try to figure out what's most important. Well, unfortunately, what was in the car, like the other lady who had just said, garage door openers. So they have access to my home. Um, so I had to have my garage door openers changed, my front door lock changed because my trailer keys for a camper trailer were also in the glove box with an mm-hmm. extra house key. I can't get my camper trailer out of storage now because the keys are missing. Um, had to have door locks changed. Like I said, garage door openers. Then it's, you know, to, to try to remember what was inside the car. You're dealing with property side of insurance, auto theft side, you know, adjusters, um, a month later, I still don't have a settlement from a car. I've been to car dealerships trying to figure out what I'm going to do for a car. Mm-hmm. I'm told six to eight months to get a new car because everything is in such demand. Right. And I honestly, had not thought about that. Exactly. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Like six to eight months for a new car. And mm-hmm. I, you know, thank God I'm, you know, just a couple things I wanted to say, and I would yep. definitely recommend this. Anyone who buys a new car, I didn't, you know, think about it at the time. And to be honest, I totally forgotten about it. 
um, I had a non-depreciation clause mm-hmm. that I paid a little bit extra premium. So, you know, I will be able to buy another car, but when and what do I buy? I'm mm-hmm. honestly afraid to go buy another car, especially a new one again. Are they coming back? You know, mm-hmm. like they know where they stole a car from. So are they going to come back and check to see what I, you know, what I replaced it with? So that, you know, I am a little nervous about that. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things. You know, they say park in the garage, put your keys in a fob, put a club on your glass. So basically we have to live in a fortress now mm-hmm. to own a to own a car that, you know, it's taken you 10 years to save for. So I'm hoping that from the summit, I only caught the last part of your program, but I'm really hoping from the summit that, you know, that there were manufacturers, were there any car manufacturers present? Like any, I, any, I, anyone I'm, from that sector? I'll find out, but I'm pretty sure. And we did have somebody from a lobby group for the manufacturers. But but a lot of people, a theme that's come up a lot, maybe more than any other theme on this particular program from callers has been questions as to why, from the manufacturing side, more is not being done to make things uh, uh, more difficult or virtually impossible to well, steal I'm cars. Okay with a key. Give me yeah. back a set of car keys. That's a really anti- good point, yeah. Like the anti these fobs, like what's mm-hmm. the point? of them because we can't unlock a car with a key i have no issue with having a car keys at least if they break a window to get in or try to use a you know the old-fashioned slim gyms it sets off the alarm system which is audible and lights flashing but when you can activate a fob like their anti-theft programs don't work yeah they don't so let's go back to car keys. <laughs> I thought I was the only person old enough to remember the old days of car keys but clearly not thank you very much for calling yeah no problem thanks This is Cross Country Checkup. Have you had your vehicle stolen? Why is the number of car thefts soaring? You can call us at 1-888-416-8333. And then in about 15 minutes time, we make an abrupt and I think entertaining turn. Ahead of Valentine's Day, we want to ask you about your dating stories, good, bad, or indifferent. And we have a relationship expert and columnist here to provide her context on that and answer any questions you might have. You can use the same number, 1-888-416-8333 to get in the queue to tell us dating stories on the Ask Me Anything. So... Let's get perspective now from uh, one of the organizations that has a stake in the car theft uh, conversation. Michael Rota is the president and CEO of the Canadian Finance and Leasing Association, and he attended the Auto Theft Summit in Ottawa this week, and he's in Toronto. Hi, Michael. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the program. First of all, to to address something our last caller asked about, um, do you know were car manufacturers uh, part of the summit as well? Uh, yes, so uh, car manufacturers and the car manufacturer associations were in attendance at the summit. Yeah, and and did was that much of a topic of of conversation? What uh, manufacturers um, will be doing or ought to be doing to try to make their cars more difficult to steal? Well, absolutely. Uh, it was uh, front and center. Uh, the car manufacturers, though the standards themselves have not been updated for some time. They are on at least version 10 now of their um, uh, anti-theft devices on the vehicles. Uh, some of the vehicles actually have been recently changed, and I've been in the conversation on this with the margins of the conference. Uh, I was told that uh, those vehicles that have been changed, they haven't had evidence of a successful relay attack in the last uh, uh, 12 months. I obviously won't name the manufacturer. They want to keep mm-hmm. that secret. The other interesting thing that came up uh, was uh, the fact that uh, certain vehicles, so that are on our top 10 
uh, lists here in in Canada are uh, seven to ten percent less likely to be stolen in the United States. So when we look at uh, Statistics Canada and compared to with the FBI crime data, uh, crime data numbers, uh, we find that actually it's a 27% increase in 2022 in auto theft in the U.S. and 11% increase in Canada. Hmm. So one of the things that we are looking at is, you know, uh, what's the differential between ourselves and, and other countries? In fact, uh, Canada has become what's known as a donor country for stolen vehicles. And the conclusion uh, seems to be on from all stakeholders, including policing, uh, is that Canada is very much a high reward, low risk jurisdiction for in which uh, organized crime can operate. And so high reward is the vehicle. Low risk means what? Low risk means uh, low chance of detection when they are uh, uh, caught. They're typically using young people. In fact, the uh, uh, city of Montreal uh, shares statistics of their arrests. And over 50% of those arrested stealing the vehicles were between 15 and 24 years old. So they're using uh, young people, particularly young offenders, to do the sort of the, the, the stealing. But given the um, complexity of the organizations, uh, it's organized crime that's exporting them. In fact, it's the, uh, uh, um, the RCMP noted that there was a 60% increase in 2023 in the number of organized crime groups using this method to get money for their criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things strike me, uh, Michael, is interesting there. One is um, y- you need to catch the people, first of all. And we heard lots of stories of people who had vehicles uh, stolen just in the context, just I- I- during this program alone, where police weren't sending people out right away to try to to stop the thieves or, or track the car. And so, you know, that has to do with priorities and policing. So, you know, you wonder how often the offender is caught. And then you raise an interesting point in terms of who the, the thief actually is. And so if they're 15 or 17 or 19 years old, uh, how long do you put them in jail as a way of, uh, you know, trying to send a, uh, a deterrent effect? So these are, I'm not asking you those questions. I'm not addressing that. These are all part of the bigger picture of how do you deal with this. Uh, Michael Rhoda is president and CEO of the Canadian Finance and Leasing Association. And Michael, people may be wondering, what is it about your organization that has a stake in this? Why is the Finance and Leasing Association uh, so interested in the car theft problem? Sure. So we represent both um, uh, auto finance and leasing companies, uh, as well as the credit facilities of the OEMs, that, that's the, the manufacturers, and equipment companies. So uh, one of the trends that we've seen is, you know, what happens with automobiles sometimes moves over to the equipment side it's, uh, because they're obviously much more expensive. It can be just as, if not more so, uh, lucrative. Um, so our members are are suffering. There are vehicles that are are being stolen. They have to uh, console their their customers who have lost the vehicles, put them back in a new vehicle, and then you know the, the, all the costs associated with trying to recover the vehicles that have been been exported. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you one last question, and that is if if you had to put something at the top of your list of priorities coming out of that summit, coming out of what you know about the car theft problem, something that ought to be addressed in Canada, what would be at the top of the list? So two things. First and foremost, it would be uh, uh, the ports, not just sort of port security, but specifically the the way in which they export vehicles. Uh, We would like to see uh, Canada align with what we see in the U.S., where uh, in Canada, uh, 72 hours after the container has been shipped and is likely on the high season outside of Canadian law enforcement jurisdiction, you can change the bill of lading. So you can say, oh, my mistake, Uh, that wasn't washing machines, it's actually motor vehicles. 
In the U.S., you have to make those declarations in advance. And in fact, you have to have the vehicles available for inspection should the uh, the border services want to see the vehicle prior to the being exported. So that would really tighten things up. That's not a legislative change. Uh, it's a regulatory at best, maybe a, a change of policy. So you can see that come into effect quite rapidly within a number of months. And I believe have a precipitous impact on the export of vehicles. And then additionally, just uh, federal leadership in terms of coordination amongst the various uh, provinces. We've seen some great announcements uh, in some provinces, particularly Ontario, with the creation of uh, provincial auto theft teams, which had a real serious impact the last time that we had a, a rash of auto theft in Canada brought that those numbers significantly down. Uh, but this time it's a little bit different. And we, I think what we need to see is some national coordination. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate your perspective and thank you very much for uh, speaking with us. Michael Rhoda, President and CEO of the Canadian Finance and Leasing Association. He is in Ottawa. Okay, here's what's going to happen for the remainder of this half hour. Uh, I'm going to have one more caller, then I'm going to go to our expert, Brian Gast, and ask him for some advice on uh, what we uh, should be doing to make our cars tougher to steal. And uh, then we are going to go to our Ask Me Anything. We want to hear your stories about dating ahead of Valentine's Day, and we have an expert who can talk to us about that. So uh, before we get there, let's go to our one last caller on the program. Michael, or Malcolm McCullough is in Toronto. Hi, Malcolm. Hey, how are you? Uh, good, good. So you had a rental car that was stolen. Tell us about that. Yes, it was very unfortunate. I, I had had it for four or five months, mm-hmm. and I, I needed it. I needed something with a trailer hitch, so I had a a Jeep Renegade that was rented for me. And I came out to work at like 5.30 in the morning one day. It was just gone. And it was one of my busiest days. I had to be all over the place. Hmm. And the tragedy in it all was that because it was a rental, uh, I did my police report. Uh, the, the people across the street thought that they had some video footage. Uh, I forwarded stuff to the police. And... I never got any closure. It was it was really sad because it was uh, a beautiful vehicle, and I was working on a on a on a film in the locations department and the transport department. Uh, it had gone from being on one show to the next show I was working on, mm-hmm. and then we rented a vehicle for someone else that had just started in my department. And that night, the, guy, the, the day that that person started, he drove it home to Melton, and it was a pickup truck that was stolen. Hmm. So it was a Jeep Gladiator and, a, and an F-150, you know, probably $200,000, I don't know, worth of vehicles. And, and, and then it, it was kind of, it was, it was not suggested, but it was like, why is this one department getting all of their vehicles stolen? And it, yeah. was, it was kind of this awkward thing, but uh, it is rampant. It was so sad and it's so frustrating because I just feel like it's picked up and it's everywhere yeah. and it just it, and now we have we have one of those boxes at the front door mm-hmm. you know for our fobs yeah Malcolm, thank you very much uh, hey, for, for calling. I met you on the corner of King and Young like seven years ago. You were with your parents it was so cute yeah it was in front of a we were, it was a film shoot and yeah. uh, it was it was very good anyway nice fantastic. Nice 
All right. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate that. Uh, this is Cross Country Checkup. We are about to switch to our AMA in just a moment on dating. Love to hear your stories about good and bad dates. But before we do that, let's check in one last time with Brian Gast, Vice President of Investigative Services for Equite uh, Association. Brian, we have we have three minutes. And so what I'm going to do is I, I want to go through what I think are some of the basic things that uh, people should do. I've seen your advice before, but uh, let's go through that. You can give us a quick uh, kind of comment on each of these things. First of all, if you have a key fob for your car, which many of us do, uh, you put it in this Faraday box or somehow make it unlikely that somebody can use a device to to copy the key fob uh, information. Is that right? Correct. They uh, they assist with uh, preventing uh, relay attacks as well as some of the newer key fobs have a sleep mode or an off um, ability to it. Uh, anything that can... Uh, um, not allow that uh, radio frequency from being uh, intercepted. Yeah, so Faraday bag sounds really fancy. How hard is it to get one of them? Uh, not very, but do your due diligence. Uh, York and Peel have both ha- uh, handed them out. But uh, wh- like anything, everybody's there's fraudsters out there. There's some bags that are available online that you might as well put it in a paper bag. So <laughs> make sure that you're, uh, you, you get what you're hoping to get by doing some research. Okay. Um, secondly, and I was disappointed, Brian, when you told me this a couple of years ago, um, the club, which I just see as like old, old, old technology. I don't want to have a club on my car, which is one of those things you put on the steering wheel, but I think you advise that I should, right? Yeah. So steering wheel lock, uh, it's sound, it's a good visual. Uh, all of these can be defeated on their own. I'm not saying that it's going to be your, your fortress, but uh, that's why we call it a layered approach. Uh, it is a good visual. It adds time for the criminal. That's something that they have to defeat. So, uh, it does add value for sure. I have a garage and it collects old hockey equipment and uh, other things. It has no car in it. I think you would tell me to park my car in my garage overnight. I would probably suggest that that's the number one, uh, if you're able to do it, uh, parking in a garage, uh, does save a lot of headaches if possible. All right. So Faraday bag for the, the fob club for your steering wheel. If you have a garage and you're able put your car in there, just uh, half a minute left. Anything else we should keep in mind, Brian? Yeah. And one of your callers, the OBD port lock, uh, something to, uh, prevent that, uh, somebody from plugging in to do a reprogramming theft, uh, an aftermarket immobilizer, aftermarket tracking device, um, uh, parking in a well-lit, well-lit area. Those are really the big ones. And actually one of your callers actually identified one that, uh, we don't talk about often, but it is a very good one, putting in a false OBD port. Uh, I would suggest you get professional help with the installation of that, mm-hmm. but uh, that definitely, considering reprogramming is probably the, one of the biggest methods of theft, uh, that's actually a really good one. Yeah, so that was the for, or the current police officer who, who suggested yeah. that. I'd never heard of that. I certainly can't do it, but as you say, you can get somebody to work on it for you. Okay, so uh, anyone who was listening, they can go to the CBC Listen app and listen once again. Brian, as you went through that list, it's uh, it's a great list. You always have great advice. And thank you very much for being with us on the program today. Well, thank you. Good show. Congratulations. And thank you for the awareness. All right. Look forward to our next interview. Brian Guest, Vice President of the Investigative Services Division at Equite Association. It's time for Ask Me Anything, your best and worst dates stories. Ask Me Anything! 
And I'm like, what? You didn't pay the bill? Like, he just acted so natural for someone that had just dined and dashed on their first date with someone. She lives seven minutes away from the restaurant. We plan to meet at seven o'clock. She's late. And then she says, can we push to 7.30? I'm like, did you forget your wallet? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you need me to pay? He's like, yeah. I am now just like collecting the tacos because I paid for them. I look back and I was like, thank you for this experience. You will never hear from me again. (laughs) Well, those are examples of bad dates, if you couldn't tell. With Valentine's Day coming on Wednesday, we thought we'd tap into some of your stories about good or bad dates. And today we're asking you to tell us those those tales. Uh, This is our Ask Me Anything. So although you aren't required to have a question this week, we do have someone here to answer dating questions. Jen Kirsch is a relationship and dating columnist. She writes for the Toronto Star, In Style, The Globe and Mail, and Elle magazine. If you were listening about a half an hour ago, you heard her sharing a story about a great date, which was to a place in New York City that showed the Leafs game, and a less than great date going to Whole Foods, to the salad bar, which I actually kind of like the salad bar at Whole Foods, but I'm not sure I'd want to go there for a second date. Hey, Jen, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. So did you say that those two dates were with the same person? Well, it was with the the first date was amazing. And then the second date, he wanted to take me to the Whole Foods salad bar. And I decided uh, not to go. And I was very, you know, I I write about dating and relationships for a living. So I didn't have a problem just saying, you know, I wish you put maybe some more effort in, (laughs) you know, it just doesn't sound like maybe we're on the same page. Like I'm looking for something a little more serious. And he ended up you know, taking that feedback and instead of doing what a lot of people do, which is ghosting or saying something rude back or taking it the wrong way, um, he did book a date elsewhere and he understood where I was coming from. Ultimately, it didn't work out, but I love that he was able to receive it. And I kind of honor myself that I was able to say how I actually felt in a place of loving kindness, not like a, I wasn't trying to be mean about it and then make fun of him to my friends. I was just being honest that, you know, I expect a little more for a second date. Yeah, good for you. Uh, By the way, if someone would like to call us with either a question for Jen or their story, and hoping to hear some great stories, 1-888-416-8333, or you can connect via cbc.ca slash aircheck. Yeah, so Jen, you know, you said I expected a little more effort on a second date. So yeah, good for you for for saying that. Um, And uh, and good for him for uh, responding in a a civil way. so any other, is there another dating story that that you can tell us uh, that, you know, yes. we love hearing stories. Oh my God. Yes. I have, I have from friends and my own, but one thing that just struck me in the intro for this, I was sitting here laughing my face off because all of these worst dates, you know, the clips you guys just played, all they have in common is finances. Like people mm-hmm. are so funny with money and it just becomes really uncomfortable. And I love it. Um, Simply Financial did this study recently about Canadian Canadians and money. And they found that one in three young Canadians have broken up with their partner because of Valentine's Day. And Ian, I don't know if you've heard of this, but apparently there's something called Red Tuesday, which is the Tuesday before Valentine's Day where people break up with their partners. Um, it could be newer relationships. This is what it sounds like, but be, people break up to avoid having to buy 
gifts, expensive <laughs> or otherwise, or to spoil their partner. And I just thought that this was so funny. And the other stat that I loved on this Simply study was 73% of Canadians think their partner could be better at managing money. And I think in every relationship I've ever been in and, you know, clients that I've had and things I've heard, money is just one of those weird topics. And no, it's like the blind reading the blind. Like no one really knows how to navigate it when we're out dating, especially the first date, especially with an occasion like a Valentine's Day. So I'm excited for the callers. And yes, as you mentioned, I'm so happy to help out any way I can with um, help guiding everyone so they could have a great Valentine's Day and, and just be better at their relationships, whether it's with each other or the relationship we have with ourselves. Yeah, Jen Kirsch is a, a dating and a relationship columnist. And as you can tell, she's going to have lots of interesting things to add to this conversation and answer any questions you might have about dating, especially as we are two days away from what apparently is Red Tuesday, which no, I'd never heard of before, and three days away from Valentine's Day. Uh, Jen, here's an email we got from Paula Ashby. She says, I was invited out for lunch by a man I didn't know, but he and I had friends in common. We'd barely started eating when he suddenly turned white and clammy and vomited onto his plate of food. He was quite embarrassed. He apologized profusely and asked if we could have another lunch date the following week. We met for our second date. He was wearing the same shirt as the week before unwashed. No, Paula, really? Uh, he spent most of our lunch date regaling me with stories about his gastrointestinal woes in some detail. I declined his offer of a third date. Okay, that sounds almost more like a, a, a plot line in uh, in a movie, but uh, Paula, let, let's assume that uh, I'll take you at, at 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 your word, and that's really what happened. Um, Jen, why don't you weigh in on that? Oh my God! Well, first off, um, the first the first time it happened, I mean, things happen. Mm -hmm. He could have, you know, now we know what it was, but he could have, you know, had an allergic reaction or something. I would have been kind of horrified, but I love the idea of a good love story and you know, kind of helping someone out, out in a moment of need. We hear of like the damsel in distress idea. So unfortunate, like that he played it off, like that she was willing to go on a second date, despite maybe being a little uh, turned off at that unexpected challenge that arose. But with this second time and talking about the issues, uh, the shirt thing, that's a whole other story. Again, it's almost like too much of a story. Yeah. To, yeah. But, but Paula, I feel for you. Um, I think that we tend to disclose a lot on dates, especially the first few, because A, we want to find some form of connection. Mm -hmm. And so we think that if we're vulnerable with someone and share deeper stories or things about us that will connect, um, I think you need to be careful with sharing too much too soon, because there are certain topics that people could relate on the death of a parent, the loss of a pet, things like that. But when you're going to something so specific, it's not the most sexy for the first few dates. I think we could wait till maybe date five for that or until you got to know each other better. Paula, I'm proud of you for putting yourself back out there despite the awkwardness and uncomfortableness of the first one. And I think if people bring up topics that are maybe um, a bit of a turnoff or not something you want to discuss, what a lot of us do is we go to the washroom and bring out our phone and send a little text to a friend or we're kind of <laughs> rolling our eyes and we can't wait to complain to people about it after. But just be honest and and, and try to steer the conversation in a different way. Mm -hmm. And because it's hard when you're stuck, especially over a meal of food. 
Yeah, that, that, that's really good advice. I also <laughs> like the fact that you pointed out that, you know, there could have been something going on in that first date as as horrible as it is for both parties uh, to have one of them vomit on a first date. Yeah, it could have been an allergy, could have been uh, norovirus. I mean, you know, bad stuff happens. I got to say, if I vomited on a first date, I wouldn't just, you know, not contact the person. I think I would move to a different city. I would be very embarrassed. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, 1-888-416-8333 is the number to call right now. If you'd like to tell us your dating stories and if you'd like to ask Jen Kirsch a question. Uh, Darlene Favrin is in Sudbury, Ontario. Hi, Darlene. Hi there. I guess Favrin is how you pronounce your name, right? Favrin, Sovran. Okay. All right. So what's your dating story, Darlene? So um, I had a I had a crush on a fellow in high school for a, quite some time, a couple of years, I guess. And um, eventually he... Uh, asked me out and we were going to go to a drive-in which was just outside of town maybe a 25 minute ride and he picked me up in his little he had a little Volkswagen rabbit at the time mm-hmm. at, which I thought was super cool but when I got <laughs> in it I noticed a bunch of holes in the floorboards um, which made the ride super cold I think it must have been October or the part of the winter early winter months so I froze myself on the way there but I thought okay well it's okay it'll still be worth it because I I think this guy is so cool. And so we get to the movie theater, and he hasn't been particularly charming, but just, you know, kind of cool. He probably knew I liked him, so maybe he was playing it cool. Um, and so, uh, you know, the trailers are starting, and he says, okay, I'll, I'll be back in a minute. And he was gone for, I don't know, 20, maybe 30 minutes. Wow. Got back. The movie was already playing, and he had a big bowl of popcorn and a pop and some candy. And I thought, well, okay, he was gone for a while. Maybe there was a lineup. At least he brought some stuff back. Um, and then he proceeded to eat it by himself <laughs> and not, not share it and not offer it. Yep. Um, and then he fell asleep. Wow. And I watched the movie and I never saw him again. <laughs> so this is it. somebody you had a crush on in yep. school for a while. Um, And then, like, how disillusioning was that? The gap between what you obviously thought he was and who he turned out to be. Yeah. Well, you know, fooled me because I thought he had a a bit of a resemblance to uh, John Cougar Mellencamp at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Who who I thought was awesome. And um, maybe he did, but it really reminded me that, like, just don't go but based on looks, because <laughs> you just never know what's going to be underneath those. So. Absolutely. Well, that's his good lesson, a great call, and I love the fact, the time references, the Volkswagen Rabbit, John Cougar Mellencamp, <laughs> that is fantastic. The you know, drive-in, br- yeah. Br- yeah, bring back the 90s. Oh, that's yeah, right, yeah. So thank you very much for calling and kicking off our Ask Me Anything. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. 1-888-416-8333. How did your first date go with your John Cougar Mellencamp at the drive-in? Love to hear your stories about dating, good or bad. And if you have questions for our relationship expert, Jen Kirsch, all you have to do is give us a call. Pascal Padilla is in Montreal. Hi, Pascal. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing really well. What, uh, What would you like to either tell us or ask our expert? A question, and mm-hmm. it starts out like, "Do you guys know what a situation ship is?" I mean, uh, I'll oh, yeah. bet. Yeah, I'll <laughs> bet. Our, yeah, Jen does. I don't, though. So for me and our audience, what's a situation ship? So, like, if a relationship is when you're in a committed relationship, mm-hmm. then a situation ship would would be when you're in a committed situation with someone, and it's undefined. 
And it's actually, I shouldn't say committed because it's completely right. not committed. It's like an undefined relationship. So I'm, I'm obviously Jen Kirsch, our expert guest, gets it. I don't fully understand it. Pascal, just stand by for a sec. Jen, help explain to me what a situationship is. Absolutely. This is a word you should know now, Ian. This is like, <laughs> this is what, it's, it's very, um, the, the younger school people are getting into these situationships. It's right. where there's so many options, especially thanks to all the dating apps. People are happy to get close with someone, but not close enough. So they don't define the relationship. It's not official. You're not officially partners, uh, but you see each other and maybe every weekend, or maybe if you're going out drinking with friends, you'll meet up afterwards, but you're not getting the same benefits that you get in a romantic relationship. And often in situationships, there's someone who likes the other person more, but they don't want to bring up the conversation to ask about where they stand because they don't want to ruin things. Huh. at all so like they'd rather sort of stay and kind of accept stories to say um and and i mean i've been in a situation my sh- myself before so no judgment but we we accept things when maybe we deserve more because we don't want to rock the boat and we're not really speaking up mm-hmm. but i think that you know people just get caught and then it becomes this situation and so it's a situation shift and then you're maybe losing the opportunity of meeting some other really great people and someone that could be a better partner for you that wants to commit to you because you're caught up with this person. Well, that's exactly what my question is about. Um, right. Because, like, I'm single, I'm 21, and, like, romantically, I feel, like, lonely a lot. But because mm-hmm. I have so many options, like, dating apps and stuff, it's hard to, like, even want to commit to someone. But I still feel, like, lonely. And so is being in a situation a solution to feeling lonely or... Can it make it worse? I would say, thank you for your question, by the way. And thank you for sharing that. I love how self-aware you are. And that's something I really love about your generation of being able to identify what your feelings are. So thank you so much for sharing. I think that um, being with someone who's not fully invested in you can be very lonely. And I would think that it's, um, you could be, you're lonelier with them than you are if you're just hanging out by yourself and out with friends. I think you're 21. You've got a lot of enthusiasm um, inside you. And I think that this could be kind of holding you back and making you feel more lonely because when we're staying in a situation with someone who isn't necessarily on the same page, we're making sacrifices and it could be a little at a time. So you could be choosing to see them instead of going out with friends like you would normally do, or, you know, choosing to see them instead of reading a book or whatever makes you happiest, whether it's, you know, going to a Pilates class or whatever the case is. And so don't restrict yourself and hold yourself back. If they want to see you on occasion and you happen to be free and you're very busy and fulfilled life, then so be it. But I don't want you to feel lonely with with someone because they're not giving you all that you are giving them. Wow. Thank you so much. That's such a good of response. Course. I really appreciate that. And Pascal, thank we really you. appreciate your call. Love the fact that a 21-year-old is listening and calling in and taking part in our AMA. There's so many different perspectives on dating. We're hoping to hear your stories about dating good and bad. You can give us a call at one 416 You know, the other thing is this is the AMA. We do have Jen Kirsch here to answer questions. And when it comes to relationships and dating, there's some heavier issues as well. And John Eastman, who's in Delta, British Columbia, just outside Vancouver, uh, raises one of those. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? 
uh, you know, I'm learning new things already. Oh, I, I certainly, <laughs> I certainly am. I don't even. I was just doing the math about when the last time I was on a date. It is so long ago because my wife and I have been together for so long. So yes, yeah, situationships either didn't exist or certainly the term didn't exist when when I was last dating. Uh, but John, you you have a, an important and serious question for Jen. Why don't you go ahead? Uh, well, my question has to do with dating because I don't think I ever have. Mm-hmm. actually dated uh, or anything that I would think of as the sort of thing you see in movies as dating. Um, I'm in my 70s. Uh, my, I've had, I had one girlfriend before my wife, and uh, uh, we had sex the night we met, and our relationship lasted about three months, and we found out it was basically just physical, and we broke up. And then my wife and I knew each other through other people, and I'm pretty sure we also had sex the first time we actually got together, and we went out for about three years and then spent 42 years living together, and she died in November. Um, And I just, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I don't have any concept of how to be or how to start a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody i've had uh, I had a couple of mistakes along the way, and one mm-hmm. of those turned out to be bipolar, and the other one turned out to be paranoid schizophrenic but yeah. other than that, my wife and I've been together for basically yeah. forty five years yeah well john i'm sorry to hear about your wife passing away in november what a what a difficult situation and difficult time uh for you so uh let me uh yeah let, let's put your question to jen so thank you very much you can listen on the radio as uh, as jen uh, uh, what what do you have to say to john Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And November is really fresh. And being with someone for that long is is so remarkable. Relationships are hard. And I really honor that for you. And um, I just want to say, you're not alone. There's so many people navigating loss of a spouse and or, yeah, loss of a spouse or, you know, a partner they've had for years. And it's hard to start dating again and put yourself out there because, the nature of the game has changed so much. Um, for myself, my mom passed away when I was, I just turned 18 and I am extremely close with my father. And um, he took the time that he needed. They were high school sweethearts, married for 30 plus years. And he took the time he needed and then started dating again. And it was, you know, he knew my mom since high school. He never did it, but he tried the apps and he was open to people setting him up and just, you know, getting out of the house. So if I could encourage anything, um, it would be to get yourself out there. If you have a hobby or there's something that you could do or somewhere you could go. For me, I love going to the library. It's free. I like perusing books, um, sitting at a cafe with a book. I find when you go somewhere alone as well. I love solo dates. That's something else that may come up that a lot of us young folks are doing. But basically, it means going out by yourself. And I find if you sit somewhere and you have a book, and you're at a cafe, a local place, and you're going there frequently, and you start to see the same familiar faces, it's a great way to strike up conversation. And you could download the apps. A lot of the apps are free to use. And it's just trial and error. Mm -hmm. But loss and grief is so tough. And 
as you sort of like, it's, it's kind of like getting yourself back out there, sort of this muscle, you're going to have to just keep going through the motions. And dating can be weird. And I'm sorry that you had some unfortunate dating stories. But, you know, I, I would argue that there's so many other people that are out there that you could meet. And even if it's not a romantic connection, or John, even if it's a, another uh, uh, first night hookup, or whatever it is, you know, there's different ways to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And if it's not romantic, you know, you could develop a really great friendship. And I think that helps when we're navigating grief and mm -hmm. loss and those things, because that could be really isolating. Yeah, Jen, really good uh, advice. Um, we're at the time of the program where we're starting to run short of time. So let me let me try to get to some callers who can quickly kind of uh, say what they want to say and then get to you, uh, Jen, for some quick uh, responses at 1-888-416-8333. Scott Graham is in Ontario. Whereabouts in Ontario, Scott? Uh, Kawartha Lake. Okay. And what's your story? Uh, my story is very positive. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's wonderful, wonderful for everybody to hear positive dating stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was set up through a friend of a friend during the pandemic. Um, and we got connected via text and we both tried, uh, dating on online apps and things like that. But we made a promise early on in our communication not to Google each other or Facebook each other or do <laughs> research, um, which was very exciting. So we called it kind of an old-fashioned blind date. Uh, we met after about two weeks of, of texting and communicating. And uh, again, during the pandemic, so we had to go for a hike in, in the woods. So we met in the woods and... The hike turned into a six-hour hike. Wow. Um, and we bonded and connected and fell in love, and she's now my wife. That is a fantastic story, uh, Scott. Thank you very much for uh, calling in with that. And uh, let me go to one more call, and then, Jen, I'll come back to you for one last comment. Uh, Peter Watt is calling from Winnipeg. Hi, Peter. Hi, Ian. We heard a story about a bad date in the 90s. You're going to tell us a story about a good date in the 80s. What's that? Well, this, this actually is funny. I don't know why I call it good, but it was funny. Okay. It happened in the late 1970s. I was in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. And I do have a disability. I cannot see. Mm -hmm. And one night I happened to run into this woman's car. As I was heading home, trying to get through a significant snowfall, mm -hmm. uh, walking home from my cousins. But the next night after I met this woman, I, she took me to a movie. So she's guiding me through this theater. And she decided that we should get two things of popcorn and two Cokes. Mm -hmm. So I'm holding one of her arms. And she's just she's just saying, well, what am I going to do with everything? Hmm. And she decides she's going to use my winter coat, since this is February and it is cold here. And uh, she put the two Cokes in the pocket of my coat. Hmm. Somebody ran into me, and all of a sudden I got a pocket full of Coke. Huh. And, okay. Uh, Right, and so I'm standing here. My first thought was kill. Then uh, 
I started to laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And he started to laugh. And I mean, you got to hear <laughs> yep. these two people absolutely killing themselves. I, I, I think everybody must have thought we'd come unglued. Yeah, I, I, love, I love the story. I have to cut you short because we're near the end of the program, but thank you very much for calling in. And Jen, we have about a minute, and I guess I would say more generally, as much as you can do in a minute for people who are looking towards Valentine's Day, maybe feeling a little intimidated, feeling pressure that it needs to be the perfect day. Um, what would you say to them? I would just say, you know, lower your expectations and or be communicative if you have a romantic partner of what you are expecting and just be mindful that it's something reasonable. Yes, it's a big day, but it's not the only day to express love. And we want to feel seen, heard, loved, admired. All of us, you know, want to have love. There's ways to do that for free. One of my favorite stories is um, everyone gets roses for Valentine's Day. And mm -hmm. a boyfriend years ago got me a jar of pickles and I'm a big pickle lover. <laughs> and that meant more to me than anything because it was the fact that he acknowledged, oh, this is something she loves. So get creative. It doesn't need to be super expensive, but just let the person know that you care about them. If you're single, it's totally, I, I mean, you're in the time of your life because you get to focus on you and what's best for you. Lean into the song Flowers by Miley Cyrus and be your own best friend and do for yourself that you wish others did. And maybe um, they didn't and you were disappointed. And on a second date, don't go necessarily to the salad bar at uh, Whole Foods. Yeah, perhaps be a little more romantic. Let's bring some <laughs> romance back in 2024. Excellent. Jen, you're really good at what you do. I'm glad we had you Thanks. as our guest here on Ask Me Anything. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ian. Jen Kirsch, a dating and relationship columnist, and as you could hear, expert as well. That's it for Check Up the Podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkups live broadcast on CBC Radio from February the 11th, 2024. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Chuck Molgat, Katriana DeSante, and Katrina McGaughy. Our TV team is Caleb Isaac, Brendan Sylvia, Jennifer Colarusso, and Richard Grundy. Technical production and editing from Will Yar and Matthias Wilson. Cross Country Checkup was produced this week by Ruksar Ali, Abby Plenner, Rachel DeGasperas, and Kate Helmore. Digital producer is Sinisha Yolich. Our senior producer is Steve Howard. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup the Podcast will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.